Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Newspaper headlines, local and national news, and the shock of the onlooker all exclaimed in disbelief the sheer power and force of rushing water as reports came in of the tsunami that hit the coast of Japan in 2011. Video footage of the wreckage blurred the lines between a sci-fi movie and reality. 30-foot waves in the open ocean traveled at aircraft speeds, crashing into the coast and even changing the shape of the Japanese coastline forever. We're reminded of the awesome power of water when natural disasters like this happen. The dark, murky waters almost resemble oil, which conjures up pictures in our minds of the destructive force of oil as well, like in some major oil spills like the drilling rig Deepwater Horizon or the Exxon Valdez and Argo Merchant. We've seen the destructive force of water, the devastation of our natural environment from oil spills, but let's imagine just for a second what kind of disaster would take place if we took the force of a wave with the devastating elements of oil. What would that be like? Well, we actually don't have to imagine it. We can read about it. Because it actually happened. Except the destructive agent involved wasn't water or oil. It was molasses. That's right, molasses. On January 15th, 1919, in Boston, Massachusetts, locals enjoyed the unusually mild 40-degree weather, making their way to work with the sound of footsteps and horse-drawn carriages hitting the road, train whistles, and the overall chatter of the early morning rush. But there was also another sound that most had become accustomed to hearing, which was the metallic groaning sound coming from the 50-foot-tall steel holding tank located on Commercial Street in Boston's North End. United States Industrial Alcohol Company owned the tank, and they built it hurriedly, I might add, in 1915, only a few years prior to the disaster. And the reason why they wanted to hurry up the process was not what you might think. You see, this company used molasses not just for its typical uses, but for liquor and munitions manufacturing. Yes, that's right, munitions manufacturing. By this time in 1915, Europe was being ravaged by the fighting in World War I, and as you can imagine, the front lines required heavy amounts of artillery and ammunition. Well, in order to make artillery shells and ammunition, cordite is needed. Cordite is a smokeless gunpowder. But in order to produce cordite, ethanol is needed. And what's another word for ethanol? Industrial alcohol. And industrial alcohol was derived from, you guessed it, molasses. So this process of building this massive two and a half million gallon molasses tank wasn't just for a long-term business venture, it was opportunistic. There was lots of money to be made with high-paying war contracts and with no foreseeable end of the war in sight, time is money. So in their rushed construction, inspectors and supervisors never spotted the weak points in the tank. And the first shipment of molasses arrived before the tank was even tested. On top of that, according to the United States Census Bureau, over the next four years, residents of Boston's North End neighborhood 
grew accustomed to hearing the 50-foot-tall storage tank groan under the pressure of its contents. Rivets and seams leaked so profusely that families actually collected molasses dripping down the tank walls for home use. Rather than inspecting and repairing the leaks, the USIA company ordered the tank to be painted brown to help camouflage its leaking joints. So, as rivets expanded and the thin steel cracked, witnesses described the sound of a metallic roar that would result in an amount of molasses equivalent to three and a half Olympic-sized swimming pools being poured down onto the streets of northern Boston at a rate of 35 miles an hour with a wave of about 15 feet tall. The thick, sticky tsunami took out everything in its path, flowing more like a mudslide or lava than oil or water. People were swept off their feet, dragged into the harbor, buildings collapsed, horses were trapped, the elevated train that ran through the city was thrown off its tracks from the steel supports underneath being snapped like toothpicks. The Boston Globe would later write that the force of the molasses wave caused buildings to, quote, cringe up as though they were made of pasteboard. One of the witnesses said, I was in bed on the third floor of my house when I heard a deep rumble. When I awoke, I was in several feet of molasses as my house crumbled around me. He nearly drowned in the gooey whirlpool before he climbed on top of his own bed frame, which he discovered floating nearby. Almost as quickly as it happened, as it crashed onto the streets below, the molasses wave actually receded pretty quickly, but it left in its wake a half-mile path of waist-deep residue in absolute devastation. With temperatures dropping below freezing, the now fully submerged victims had to deal with the thickening of the syrup as they struggled for their lives. Heroes along the way risked their lives so they could save anyone they could, including a train conductor who warned an oncoming train from falling to the streets below. Some victims were carried directly into the harbor by the molasses, which forced rescuers to sift through freezing waters and thick molasses for weeks to recover anyone they could. The last victim from the harbor wasn't actually recovered until the second week of May. Cleanup crews spent almost 90,000 hours cleaning the neighborhood, and even after countless hours of rescue and recovery, unfortunately, the molasses killed 21 people and injured 150. For decades, the smell of sweet molasses would haunt the streets, and some said even into the 1950s and 60s, basements especially sealed the smell of molasses because buildings located directly across the street from the tank had their basements filled up to the first floor with molasses. It wouldn't be until that summer that the water in the harbor would actually return to its normal color. And folklore says that every once in a while, people near the spill can smell molasses still. After a lawsuit was filed, over $14 million was paid out to the workers, families of victims, and the victims themselves. However, some lasting impressions would still remain. Now, there are more stringent requirements for inspection and construction of steel structures and tanks like these. And the process, of course, would be less hurried. But there's one thing that came from this flood that is still used today that we might not even be aware of. The saying, you're as slow as molasses in January. On January 15th, 1919, molasses wasn't so slow after all. This has been a missing chapter short, your quick fix for one of history's forgotten stories in a busy world. Listen to more shorts 
as well as full-length episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast providers.